0: All right, ladies, welcome. We're learning the Tidim of David Melech ala We're up to chapter 64, Samech Dalet. When we're studying these chapters, Leilu the Tzadiket, Lea, Lili Badverjeneh. This is Lili Meddeb ala It's a project of Hassan, Dr. Rafi. <clears throat> I wanted the uh, learning of these chapters to be <clears> the Nishmat. His mother. Now, chapter 64 is a unique chapter. And it tells us about the the style of the book of Tehillim, which obviously was written by Ruach HaKodesh. As we've been saying over and over again, a lot of the chapters are recollecting events in David and Melech's life. And we always try to connect where the chapter in Navi is to try to understand what he was praying for in Tehillim. Now most of the time, we're able to do that. Uh, chapter 64 is unique in that sense. Uh, Rashi, which will take Rashi's interpretation today, says that this chapter is not connected to anything that happened in David's life. Therefore, you're not going to find the correlation in the Navi. Actually, David was uh, referring to a futuristic event, an event that did not happen yet. But David, in the Ruach HaKodesh, had a premonition of the event and therefore prayed. Now, The reason why he prayed for the event is because he was related to the character that's going to be the main uh, personality of the chapter. But in order to get some uh, perspective of what we're gonna talk about, I'll just give you a little historical uh, introduction. So there was, uh, there was a king that was called Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the first king of Babylonia. And uh, he exiled the Jewish people into, from Eretz uh, Israel, from Jerusalem to Babel. And he also exiled the young scholars because he knew the Jewish kids are smart and he knew that uh, if he can educate them in Bavel, one day the Jews will be his advisors. Just like today. You have a lot of Jews, they advise the kings, they advise the president. You have uh, Jews all over the world that are very, very influential in government. <coughs> and Abu Khansan knew this, so he brought Jewish children, prodigies, and he brought them to Baveil and he gave them uh, education. One of the most famous graduates of those schools that eventually became not only the advisor of Nebuchadnezzar, but he became the advisor of Nebuchadnezzar's (coughs) son, Belshazzar, and he became the advisor later on of uh, Kodesh, and he became the advisor of uh, 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 Hashverosh himself. And that's none other than a fellow by the name of Daniel. Now, Daniel was considered very um, you know, respected by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he was, again, the advisor of, I said, uh, Bil Shassar, He was the advisor first of Nebuchadnezzar, then Evil Merodach. Evil Merodach. Imagine that he named his son Evil. Evil Merodach, and he lived up to his name. And he was uh, the advisor then of the grandson of the Nebuchadnezzar, which was Belshazzar. <clears throat> uh, it was Daniel that predicted that Belshazzar would die. There was a special prophecy that he saw, a certain code, and Daniel would tell Belshazzar that that was a sign of his ending. And sure enough, the day that he prophesied to Belshazzar, that night he died. And as a result of that, uh, Darius, Daryavish, Daryavish the first. You'll see there's two Daryavish's. We're talking about Daryavish the first. He took over. And now the Galut shifted from Galut Bavir to Galut Madai. And then it would be Parasu Madai, when Hashverosh would come. <clears throat> so that was done by, uh, by Darius. And um, Darius... Um, he gave permission... To go for the Jewish people to go back to Eretz Israel and to actually uh, start to build the uh, Beta Hamikdash, and that was uh, also under the uh, under the kingdom of a, a king called Koresh. Kodesh, Cyrus also allowed the Jewish people <clears throat> to go back. Now Daniel uh, then became the advisor of the king. Uh, that avished, which we're talking about over here and he gave him a very high position now whenever there's a Jew in a high position the other advisors who are going to become jealous and they were all jealous of Daniel and they wanted to set him up and they framed him in front of the king and they wanted him to fall into a trap, what was the trap? the advisors went to Darius, Darius the first and they told him listen you're a great king And really, nobody should make any requests, not to a foreign guard, not to a senator, not to a government official. All requests for the next 30 days should exclusively be to the king, because you're worthy, you're the Ashuf guy. Now, when you talk to somebody that believes in himself and is a megalomaniac in the first place, and then you tell him all this type of kavod, he eats it, he swallows it. So that Yabesh was happy to hear this, that they said, oh, come to me for the request, and anybody that requests anything from even a different God, besides you, Hayab Now they got Darius to agree to such a proposal, but the purpose of the proposal was to frame Daniel, and you'll see what they did. Now Daniel, the advisor, had to sign on the uh, on the decree. A few days later, the, um, the uh, inspectors of Darius, they go into... Daniel's house, and they see that he's praying by the window. He prays three times a day. I guess they didn't have a minyan in uh, wherever, wherever they were. So he's praying in the morning, and which is in contempt of the law. Because the law was you can only make requests for the next 30 days to the king. And he is making requests to his God. And therefore, after that, they didn't have cameras in those days, but they had witnesses so the witnesses went back to Darius and told Darius, Oh, you're a Jewish guy. He's in contempt of your law. So what do means, We have witnesses that he was praying by the window towards Jerusalem to his God, and therefore you have to kill him. And now Daniel was set up. He was framed. The whole law was made to catch Daniel praying so they could lynch him and get rid of him, and then you know everybody will live happily ever after. This is what goes on. So... The punishment was of such a crime that you get thrown into lion's den. Remember the story, Daniel and the lion's den? This is when it happened. So now the king liked Daniel and he didn't didn't want to kill him, but he had no choice. So it says in the Navi that before he took Daniel and threw him into the lion's den, he whispered in his ear and he said, don't worry, the God that you prayed to will save you. The king knew that Daniel was a sadiq. Anyway, a <clears throat> uh, bunch of hungry lions that didn't eat for several days and they threw Daniel into the lions' Then, And a miracle happened uh, and the lions didn't, uh, didn't devour him. As a matter of fact, when they, th- when they saw that Sadiq come in, they all went around him and made Hakafot and Nikudim and they gave like a, a great respect which was an open miracle that everybody saw how... Daniel was able to subjugate the hungry lions. As a matter of fact, I found a beautiful language in, uh, I think it's the Yalkut. The Yalkut says that the enemies of Daniel told the king that those lions must be not hungry, they must be satiated. So therefore, let's wait till they get hungry and then we'll try again. By then already the king saw that this was a dirty plot. So he said, you know what? Why do we have to wait till tomorrow? We'll try on you. And he took all the enemies of Daniel and he threw them into the lions then. And sure enough, they were very hungry. And within a matter of a few seconds, they devoured you know, all of the enemies of Daniel. So it was, a, it was an open miracle which teaches us that whatever they planned to do against Daniel, their plan was foiled and bore Olam boomeranged it on them. That means the plot that they planned for the tzaddik was replaced and the Rasha went instead and uh, paid the price. And the uh, there's a Midrash. The Midrash says uh, that David HaMelech was a great-great-great-grandfather from Daniel. And in this chapter, he's going to pray for the success of Daniel, which is an amazing chapter. I means this is an event that didn't happen yet, but in David's time, he already had a premonition of the event. So therefore, it's incredible that if Daniel's going to get saved from the lions, then a lot of it has to do because David already filed the prayer hundreds of years prior in the, in the Tehilim. David was from the tribe of Yehuda. Daniel also was from the tribe of Yehuda. Obviously, they're the same family. And we know that the family or the tribal symbol, every tribe has a symbol of an animal. And what's the symbol of Yehuda? The lion. You remember when Yaakov blessed Yehuda, his son? He said, Gur ye Gur You're a lion. And therefore, God is also called a lion because God is a king. So, therefore, there's a beautiful language of the Midrash. So it says, Daniel Yehuda. Gur Yehuda. So the Midrash says, When Daniel was being thrown into the lion's, then he also prayed. So he prayed to God, who was also called a lion. So the lion prayed to the lion, because Daniel is from Aryeh. Uh, and God is called a lion. As like it says in the Pasuk, ke Aryeh Yishag. So the Midrash says, let the lion who is God come and save the lion who is Daniel from the real lion in the lion's den. Yavo And that's and that's how the story uh, that's how the story ends. So in this chapter over here. If you look at Rashi, I don't know if you have your books in front of you, if your books have Rashi, but you will see right in the first Rashi, Lam Naseach David, Shema Elohim Koli Besihi. God, listen to my, my prayer, Koli, my, my voice, meaning he prayed in a loud voice, Besihi, as I pray to you. And what is he praying regarding? Mipachad Oyev. He was afraid of the enemy, hayai. So he's asking God from the enemy that he's afraid of, God should protect him. Rashi. This chapter the Rabbi is referring to Daniel, not David. That was thrown into the lions then. And if you see, every pasuk fits into that story of Daniel. Safad David David saw in divine inspiration, All that's going to happen to Daniel, Daniel O'Haya. You see a lesson over here. You have to pray for your family. David felt an obligation that since Daniel is a direct descendant of his, so the grandfather has to pray for the grandchild. I mean, you have to pray for everybody, but it's responsibility of the family to specifically pray for their family members. And he says, Please save him from the enemy. That she says, Mepachat oyev, from the fear of the enemy, Now, you read that word in Megillat Esther, are the advisors, because Darius had Goyim advisors, so that was the enemy of Daniel, the Goy advisors, because they planned, uh, in order to set up uh, Daniel, for this, uh, for this death, TASTIRENI MISOD medeim, Save me... Now David Amelk is talking in first person, but he's really referring to Daniel. So it's like Daniel is talking, but really David is praying for his grandson. TASTIRENI MISOD medeim, Save me from uh, a plot that is sod. What does sod mean? Sod means secret, because they were plotting behind his back. It was a secretive plot. Even the king didn't know at the time when they passed the law... That the law was passed just in order to get Daniel in trouble. Tastirini misod save me from the secretive plot, midikshat, from the from the words that are being spoken with emotion of the evildoers, those people that are conspiring. She says, Shehem Mitra they have great alilat uh, emotion, they're looking to Libel me! This is a blood libel. They're making a, a lie or, or a, a scheme. and al and then the pasuk says, They sharpened like a sword their tongue. Which means the tongue of these conspirators was like a sharp sword that is able to to damage and from their sharp sword, which is their tongue, came out words. And the words are like arrows. Because a sword is doesn't, doesn't, doesn't move. The sword is being held in one place. It's the arrows that are moving, like the words that move out of the mouth. and they sent out their words with damaging like arrows. Davar mar. Davar means mar meaning. Bitter, bitter words. So he says, in a beautiful explanation, in one of the mefarshim over here, in the Sefer, in my reading over here, Be'ekveh Haketuvim, from Rabbi Yaakov Edelstein, he says, David melech speaking over here in a mashal, Yesh be yesh There's arrows and there's arrows. Yesh chitzim lak bekoah. There are certain arrows that you have to shoot it, and it has to enter the person into a, into his body. Mekowa, shachet su it's sharp. To get him in the heart, God forbid, or in the brain, that has got to go through him. But there is another type of arrow that doesn't have to hit him in a vital organ. Wherever it even pricks him, the guy will die. Why? Because they put at the tip of the, uh, at, of, the of the of the arrow poison. And therefore, once it just touches the, the person, even if it touches him in his hand, in a non-vital organ, already the poison goes in. Wherever it hits, even if it hits in a non-vital organ, too late, the poison goes through the whole body. So David HaMelech says, They sent the, uh, 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 their poisonous words out of their mouth, and their poisonous words are considered like chitzam davar mal, like a chetz that has on it a bitter poison, which means their words were very, very uh, toxic. And their words intended to kill kill Daniel. He said they didn't just, uh, uh, if it was a, 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 a type of arrow that has to hit in a certain location only to kill, that's dangerous enough. But they got me with arrows of their words, that was so dangerous that no matter where it would hit me, the poisonous words were destined to have me killed. This is referring to Daniel. Now the Benish high over here in his commentary to the Tehillim, he has a book called Hayim shalom the Tehillim, and he says something beautiful. He talks about the nature of people that speak Lashon Allah, and he quotes a Jerusalem Talmud in Masaket Pe'ah, he says, there's certain people, they speak Lashonara, but they speak it in a, a, a tricky way. So the Gemara gives an example. There was one time, people that were sitting, and they turned to each other and they say, Rotsim echol givina. <laughs> Do you want to eat cheese? Yeah, I want to eat cheese. That, that, that doesn't sound like Lashonara to me. Eating cheese? Okay, I don't know if it was halal or not, but that's a different question. But they wanted to eat cheese. So the Gemara says, Val yedeze ha-melech. The officers of the king, when they heard the word cheese, they said, Wait, where's the guy in the kitchen that's supposed to make the cheese today? He didn't show up today. And they got him in trouble. They wanted to get the guy in trouble, but they didn't want to say, Hey, he didn't show up today. They said, Oh, you're in the mood for cheese? I'm in the mood. But they said it out loud. So then, when they heard the word cheese, he said, Yeah, by the way, where is that guy? And showing up, they got him in trouble. <laughs> Unbelievable story. Two guys talking. Again, wise guys. They said, did you hear? The Yohanan is sick. You know what? Let's go make call Holim and visit Abu Yohanan. What happened? There was one of the officers or one of the workers that used to work for the king. His name was Yohanan. Wasn't Abu Yohanan. A regular guy, Yohanan. When the officers heard them talking about Rabbi Yohanan, they said, well, Yohanan, hey, where is that Yohanan anyway? And they went and they got him in trouble. So you see... <laughs> This is a Lashonara that's done in such a tricky way where they didn't say anything even about a person. But they did it in a way where they'll say certain words that will activate the guy's memory in order to get the guy in trouble. So he says, that's what it means in the Pasuk. Asher shaninu Which means their, their tongue was like a, a sword. omrim but they didn't say la explicitly. Dar khu mar, which means davar mar, the word mar can mean bitter, but the word mar can also mean to exchange, which means in Hebrew, when you say lehamir, uh, I'll say better, maybe you ladies ever made the kaparot, and you take the chicken and you put it over your head, you say, it timurati. Timurati means this is in my exchange, that whatever supposed to happen to me, let it happen to the chicken. Timurati. Mar means to exchange. So the B'nai Shahi says they exchange the words of Lashonara with nice words. But their intention is to bring down. And therefore, what did they do over here? They went to the king, Dariyavish, and they said, You're a great king, and you deserve to have all the requests come to you. And everybody should ask the king for what they need. Nobody should have to ask anybody else. That doesn't sound like Lashonara. That sounds like they're giving kavod the king. But meanwhile, in their words, was a plan in order to set up Daniel. So therefore, the Benish Chai says, their words were davar mar. They were words that sounded nice, but they exchanged the bad intent in good words. Just like the guy that said, I'm in the mood to eat some cheese today. Some give you now. It's a nice word. They exchanged their mal intent in nice words. And therefore, it was a it was a plan in order to bring down Daniel. Lirot Lirot tam. They saw a tam. Tam means a tzaddik. A good man that serves God. Their intention was to attack him privately. And they wanted to come on him suddenly. And they weren't afraid of God to do this. Which means they were going to suddenly surprise Daniel When they just uh, passed this law And before you know it, Daniel went to his window to pray like he did every day And all of a sudden they ambushed him And they brought him to the king, we saw him praying And before you know it, he was in alliance then. So that's why the pasuk says it was pit'om This was brought all suddenly It was done, it was done very quickly Pasuk ba. They uh, spoke to the king And they made it as if they want to do this For the king's glory But their covenant was not for the king's glory They were planning a mokesh You know what a mokesh is? A trap They were planning a secret trap In order that Daniel will fall right into and they said, who can see it? Nobody knows what we're doing. They didn't believe in God, these people, obviously. So they had no fear of God. That God knows what their intent is. And David Amalek says, they're fearless. They're finding olot. Now, olot over here means alilot. Alilot means alibis. They're looking for different... Uh, uh, excuses to kill Daniel. They're trying to find certain uh, uh, reasons. Alilot. Tamenu hefes mehupas. They sent hefes mehupas. Hefes is search, search people that search things. Like is to search. Uh, hefes uh, mehupas, people that are searching. They sent the investigators, that's what we call them, investigators, they sent them to Daniel's house in order to catch him praying by the window. So they were, tamnu, it means they finished him off by sending these investigators to see how he was praying. The ish v'lev amok. And all of their sinister plot was buried inside of them. Which means they made it as if, no, we don't have anything against Daniel. We have nothing against this guy. It's just that he went against the, uh, the king. Their, their sinister plot was buried deep in their... Uh, in their, uh, in their hearts. Now what happens, now I, I'll just tell you, this is a side point, you should know that sometimes this happens at Tehillim, if you look at the pasuk I just read, I guess it's pasuk number, pasuk number 8, look at number 8 for a second, or, 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 or 7 actually, ألوت, they were looking for excuses, Tamnu. You see that word tamnu? Now you have it spelled in your tehillin with a taf. Tamnu, correct? Now look at Rashi. You have Rashi in your books? If you look at Rashi, look how Rashi spells the word tamnu. she spells it with a tet. So you see over here that there were certain words in tehillim that there was an argument amongst the rabbis how to spell the words. It's an amazing thing. This is like a Torah over here. And the, Rashi had in his text, <coughs> the word tamnu was spelled with a tit. And if you look at the parentheses of Rashi, it says, In some of the books, they have that text. Which means, tamnu means to bury. Like in Shabbat, where you, you bury the food under the cloth. It's called hatmana. So tamnu, they buried their plot in, deep in their heart. That's the way Rashi will say Tamnu they never revealed their true intent that all this was in order to bring down Daniel. So that's the way that's the way he learns. Um, according to our text that has a taf. Tamnu means tam. means complete, whole. They had a complete plan organized in order to set up Daniel. So Tamnu, they had a full, a full plan, a complete plan. Hafiz M'Huppas were investigators that were sent in order to catch Daniel, you know, praying when Ha by his window. And now we get to the best part of the chapter. It's like the story of Purim over here. Whatever they were trying to do to Daniel, it backfired. It's almost like with Haman, whatever Haman tried to do to... Mordechai, all his efforts ended up boomeranging on himself. The tree that he made, he ended up getting hung up on the tree. The queen that he installed, because he was the one that said to kill Vashti, that queen ended up killing him. And so on and so forth. So now what happens? <speaking in Hebrew> that they spoke. No, I'm sorry. Het Vayorem Elohim They tried to kill Daniel Pit'om suddenly, and what happened, that sudden, that Pit'om, boomeranged against them, because all of a sudden when they threw Daniel in, these guys thought these lions will eat Daniel in two and a half seconds. Hungry lions, they'll kill him in a second, they won't even leave a shred of bone left. And when they looked in, and they saw the lions were just sitting there, and they're singing Bipi to him, so now they said, oh, these lions over here, they're not eating them. So okay. But then, when the king turned and said, "They figured they're wise guys. Nah, they're probably hungry. They're probably they probably full. They probably just ate. Wait a day, and then we'll throw them in tomorrow." And then the king turned around and said, "No, we're we'll not waiting till tomorrow. We'll throw you in and see what's going to happen." And all of a sudden, pitom! You see Hashim Hashem brings in Yeshua? When Hashem wants to bring in salvation, He brings the salvation. One second, before you know it, the tzaddik was saved, and the rasha was now thrown in, and there was hundreds of them. The Midrashites, it wasn't one or two. They threw in hundreds of them, and the lion just kept on eating them. Good, they deserve it. Ayu there. Lashonala became a stumbling block for them. Yitnodedu called ro'ebam. Anybody that saw what happened to them, you know to do? They would shake their head and laugh. Of course, it's, of course it's, it's comical. <laughs> you would try to kill El and now you got thrown into the lions, then. It's the, um, it's the story that you see always that the God uses the plan of the Rasha to kill the Rasha. I just said something big over here. But when he wants to bring down the Rasha, he doesn't draft a new plan, he uses the existing plan of the Rasha to bring the Rasha down. He says, God could have killed these people who tried to get Daniel in a different way. They could have just died of a heart attack on the spot. But God said, no, you would try to kill him and you planned this plot of the lions to get him. You're going to die from your own plot. That means had they not done it, they wouldn't have died. Hashem uses their own hands to kill them. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, way that Hashem runs the world. And it's laughable. That's why it says. The people that see this nod their heads and they cackle. They say, ha ah, is this is uh, comical. And the people, obviously, get fear. When they see the hand of God clear, when they, they understand, meaning they have understanding of God's ways. This is referring to, uh, this is an interesting word, this Adam. We'll see how this word Adam uh, has a a deeper interpretation. We'll see in a moment. (inaudible) Yismach Sadiq Bashem. The Sadiq will rejoice in God. Who's the Sadiq? Daniel. Daniel's the Sadiq. Yismach. Because he put his faith in God and he got saved. And the other people. The people that follow the ways of God and pray to him, they will also uh, praise Borei Olam for the miracles that he does. So that's the simple interpretation of this chapter. Hadaniel got saved and the enemies went in his place. Now, I, did, I asked a question on this chapter. The question that I asked was, So Daniel got saved over here. He didn't die. But then I was curious. So how did he die? He must have died. Eventually he died. Nobody lives forever. So how did he die? So I found something amazing in this book over here called Birkedir Bil'ezer. In chapter 50. Birkedir Ezer. it says that there was a man in Migilat Esther. The Migilat that we just read on Purim. And he worked in the palace. He was close to the kings. His name in Megillat Estet is Hatach. Hatach actually is Daniel. It's just that in Megillat Estet, they changed his name, they called him Hatach. Some say because Hatach can be like the word Hatach, because all the, uh, all the advice of the king is cut on his word, meaning he gives the cutting advice. So they call him a Now you remember what happened when Haman made his decree against the Jews after he picked the lottery? So what happened? So Mordechai the tzaddik, he went to the palace, and he wore sackcloth, and he put ashes on his head, and he made a big scream. And Queen Esther looks out the window and says, what's going on over here? What is he doing in front of the palace with sackcloth? You're not allowed to come to the palace with sackcloth. So she sent out Hatach. Hatach was her uh, trustworthy, trusted uh, agent or trusted messenger. Go find out from Mordecai. Lada'at mazeh ve'al mazeh. What's going on over here? So we get Hatach. Hatach goes out and tells Mordechai, hey, Esther wants to know what's going on over here. Now, somebody was watching when this exchange took place. And who was watching? Haman. Haman saw this Hatach is telling something to Mordecai. Okay, maybe it's coincidence. Hatach goes back to Esther and tells Esther that uh, there's a decree against us. That's what he said. So, and uh, he's saying that he wants you to go to the, to the queen, to the king, and petition for the Jewish people. Esther tells Hatach, listen, you gotta go tell him that anybody that goes to the king without being announced, is gonna get killed, and therefore I cannot. So Hatach goes back to Mordechai, to tell Mordechai the bad news that Esther doesn't want to, doesn't want to go. At this point, says the midrash, when Haman saw already there's back and forth by Yavoh Hatach, he's coming and going. At that point, he killed him. You believe this? So Daniel, although he got saved from the lion, but he didn't get saved from Haman. Haman ended up killing this sadiq. And the question is, wh- 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 why? Why did Hashem allow this Sadiq that he hailed to get killed by the hands of such a lasha? Uh, I'll just read you the lashawn of the midrash here. Vayetse hatak and mordecai. Hatak went out to mordecai. Vigid go to the barim. Venechnas hatak, vigid le haman Yotze'u And he killed them. So now the sheila is why. So I found over here a very, very significant Hatam Sofer. The Hatam Sofer is in his Derashot and Palashat Vaychi. He has the following question: If you remember when Yaakov Abinu passed away, so he said to his children before he passed away, "Don't bury me in Mitzrayim." And the rabbis asking, why doesn't he want to be buried? What was Yaakov Abinu's concern? I'm going to read this piece, it's beautiful. That's where you make it at It's amazing this is connected. What happened? The king sends out letters. The first letters. With the king's signature on What was the first letters? The first letter said to be ready on the 13th of Adar in order that the anti-Semites can kill, kill the Jews. La La those were the first letters. Now, understand good. Most people don't know the timeline of Megillat said, so I just want to tell it to you. Forgive me if I'm telling you something that's so easy. Haman drew the lottery in the month of Nisan. That's when he picked the lottery. He picked it Of course, the lottery landed on Adah to kill the Jews, but he picked it, Nissan. now we have Nisan next week, this month, coming up, Nisan. That's when he picked it. Mordecai found out about it through Ruach HaKodesh that there's a plot, and they fasted. They fasted on the 14th, the 15th, and the 16th of Nisan. Same month, a couple of weeks later, they fasted. On the third day of the fast, that's when Queen Esther had the, uh, the party. And then the next day was the second party. And by the next day, Haman was on a tree already. So Haman got hung very quickly from the day he made the lottery against the Jews. You have to keep in mind that. Now Haman is on the tree, the ten sons are on the tree, and they're very nice, but it's not very nice. Because even though Haman is on a tree, the decree is still there, the letters were still sent. Everybody thinks, oh, that's it, we hung them on the tree, b'nei selah, covered. They're not covered. Which means the letters that the king sent were still sent, that wasn't, and he can't retract them, because there's a law that says you can't retract anything that the king sends. So very nice, we got rid of 10 anti-Semites, but that's not going to help us. So Mordechai now and Esther would petition the king to send a second uh, set of letters that would reinterpret the first, to say that the Jews have a right to defend themselves. And that would already cause the anti-Semites to be scared that if the king is giving them rights to defend themselves, that means he doesn't want them to kill. That, so there was a second set of letters, which by the way, until those second set of letters were sent, we were in very big trouble. Once the second set of letters was sent, you say, ah, you can breathe. Now you can breathe. Now, the Bidrash counts how many days from the first set of letters to the second set of letters. How many days in between was the gap. 70 days. 70 days. Do the math. The, the letters were sent in Nisan, and then the second letter was sent in Sivan. So Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, which is about two and a half months, was that for 70 days. Okay. So the Bedrash is asking, why did he wait 70 days? Haman was hung on the tree in Nisan. Why wait? Send out the letters as we say in, uh, in, uh, in, in English, ASAP. As soon as possible. Why did he wait 70 days? I mean, could you imagine during those 70 days how sad the people were? Because they don't know what's going to happen. Once Mordecai announced, Abutai, don't worry, a second set of letters were sent out that the king gave us permission to defend ourselves, and we're going to be okay. Then like might what happens But until those letters were sent, the people are shaking. Even though Haman was on a tree, big deal. He already set the machine of death in motion. So that's the Atam Sufei's question, why 70 days? So he found the Midrash. The reason why he waited 70 days? K'neged ma shet'abbelu Mitzrayim al Yaakov abinu. Hayu samechim zman kaze b'agrot lishonim, So he explains like this. The Egyptians, when Yaakov Abinu died, the Egyptians mourned Yaakov. Not only the Jews mourned Yaakov, the Egyptians mourned him. They knew Yaakov Abinu was a big sati. And how many days did they mourn him? 70 days. So the Midrash says, as if to say, the 70 days that they were in mourning, so therefore Moshe says, or Yaakov, what the guy says, we deserve 70 days of mourning, uh, corresponding, to se- let them have, or, or let the goyim have 70 days of happiness. Can they get the 70 days that they mourned Yaakov? There's a 70, can they get the 70? As if to say, they were sad for seventy days for our sadiq Yaakov, so therefore let them rejoice for seventy days. Let them think that they're going to kill the Jews for seventy days. Let them have a, a, a false happiness, and uh, then after seventy days, well, he said. So it's hot. What what's Yaakov got to do with this? What is Yaakov got to do with anything over here? Because they did seventy days. For well, what are you bringing Yaakov in this picture over here? So he says. Pasuk writes What does the word Vikar mean? We found a Pasuk To explain the word Yakar Yakar Be'ine Hashem HaMaveta ha'sidav. Yakar Be'ine Hashem Means it's very heavy To Hashem When the tzaddikim die Yakar Be'ine Hashem Yakar means heavy even Hashem takes it as heavy when the Sadiq dies. But then he comes along and says that in truth when a tzaddik passes away Hashem is happy because God loves the tzaddikim. When a great Sadiq dies it's a joyous day. Because gets to now be with the Sadiq in heaven. Hashem loves the Sadiqim. So in heaven, it's a time of rejoicing when the Sadiq dies. Akba but in this world, Gadol. It's great, great tragedy. Al mitata tzaddik Because why did the Sadiq die? Al the tzaddikim die because of the sins of the generation. They become the kappara of the generation. So for the generation, it's a terrible, terrible thing. <speaking in Hebrew> ah, which means the people that remain after the tzaddik passes, they're the ones that are in pain, that feel the pain of the loss of the tzaddik. So the pasuk says, It is heavy and difficult for God. Which means that God feels the pain of the tzaddikim that are mourning the loss of the tzaddik. Not the death of the tzaddik. The death of the tzaddik, God says, Good, I'm happy to be with the tzaddik. He's with me in heaven. But what's difficult for God is now when he sees the tzaddikim that are remaining in the world and they're crying and they're mitzta'ed and they feel bad. God says, yakar Ben, that's heavy to me. Hashem, what the death does to the hasidim that remain. What, what the living. God says, the living that are in pain, that's difficult for God. So he says, which means after they sent the first letters out (laughs) if Mordechai would have sent the second letters out right away they would have been rejoicing There would have been a beautiful simcha but what happened, what did we just say happened after when Hatach was going back and forth telling Modichai, what Esther said and Esther said go tell him we're going to fast for three days we just lost a big sadiq. the biggest sadiq of the generation after Mordecai just died Daniel and therefore Mordecai said if I'm going to send out the second letters immediately it's going to minimize the mourning period of Daniel the people are going to forget about Daniel's death they're going to be so happy that they got the decree rescinded it's going to be a disrespect to the tzaddik that we just lost. He says, al You know why the decree was ultimately undone, says the Adam Zobed? Because there was a tzaddik that was taken away. The death of Daniel was the kapara, why the Jewish people ultimately would survive. It's an amazing point because it's not even mentioned in the Megillah. And such an important concept that God says, in order for the people to get saved from death, we need a korban, we need a human sacrifice. And therefore, when Haman killed Daniel, little did he know that would ultimately be the kapara for Klai Yisrael in order to be saved from the decree. He says, "Shnehehag Daniel Yisrael the Jewish people should have been, of course, in, in suffering for this. So he says, Mordecai did not want to interrupt that sa'ar that the people were having by, by announcing the second letters. And we're not allowed to forget the death of the tzaddik. When the tzaddik dies, you have to put everything on hold. You have to put all the potential things that can take a person's mind off the death of the tzaddik, even if it means the death of Kala Those second letters were, were, were going to stop a genocide. Doesn't matter. You have to put it in Gerizah. You have to wait. But the question Mordecai says, how long should we mourn Daniel for? How many days? So he said, wait, we're going to find another tzaddik that died and let's see one of the longest mourning periods that we ever saw for a tzaddik and whatever the longest period is, we're going to give to Daniel. So he says, wait, when Yaakov passed away, how many days did the Egyptians mourn him? 70. So therefore, he said, if they mourn him for 70 days, then we're going to mourn Daniel for the same 70 days. So they were just bringing Yaakov as an example of how many days they should mourn for Daniel. And therefore let the goyim have 70 days of happiness thinking that the second letters, that the, the second letters are not coming. Then he says, and this is a great lesson now for us because this chapter over here tells us that although we have the great holiday of Purim, but we cannot, and this goes without unnoticed. When we celebrate Purim, we're always thinking everybody got saved, nobody died. Mordecai survived, Esther survived. The Guim weren't able to kill anybody. But we don't realize that we lost on Purim, the holiday, in that story, one of the greatest saddikim. This is Daniel. Daniel, who's the lion that David Melch prayed for him already hundreds of years before to be saved in the lion's den. This is the one that open miracles happened to him. And all of a sudden, he disappears. Hatach, which is Miggilat, which is Daniel, is killed by Haman. Haman was only able to kill one Jew. And the Jew, that was able to kill Zul, is, is Haman, is, is is Hatach himself, but says the Atam Sufe, he becomes the Kapara. He was the Kapara, and the question then is, why Daniel? What was what was Daniel? So the Hatam Sufi says in a different uh, in a different piece. I didn't uh, I didn't copy that piece. He says that it was Daniel that passed the famous laws against eating the bread of the Goyim, drinking the wine of the Goyim, and having the oil of the Goyim. He was the rabbi in his bedin that established all laws regarding not eating from the foods. And since the sin of the Jewish people in the time of the Ahasuerus, because they went to the party, and they ate from the bread of the Goyim, and they drank from the wine, and therefore they needed the tzaddik, who made these takanot against this uh, 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 these practices? He would be the kapara for this foods that they ate that were considered questionable in order to make a kapara. So that Sadiq was taken, and that's why the the Ben Ish writes that uh, in his halakhot that there's a custom on Purim to eat uh, uh, seeds, uh, you know, bizit and seeds, pumpkin seeds and some busak that have seeds on it. He says he says because. When Daniel was in the palace of all these kings, that's what he ate. Well, they didn't have uh, uh, kosher food. They didn't have uh, uh, eats, you call, you call it you a kosher pizza from, uh, from the Babylonian restaurants. They had nothing to eat. So all he would eat was seeds all day long. So they were, but the question, what does Purim have to do with what Daniel ate? Because since the whole story of Purim was that the Jewish people, they compromised their diet when they went to the party. And who was the great Sadiq that showed us that even if you advise it to the king, you don't eat anything unless it's kosher? Daniel. He ate these seeds when he was serving the kings for those generations. And then what? God says, let the great Sadiq Daniel, that the lions wouldn't eat him because he, 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 because he was so pure himself that nothing went into him, so the lions cannot eat him because he's Kodesh. But he becomes the Kapara. He became the korban for Bnei Israel, Yisrael, Daniel. That is, in order to save us in the times of a, 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 a Purim. That's a sadiq, and then there's no coincidence. And all of a sudden, right after the Purim we had, and then we hear about the great gadol ador. Which is a, a, too much even to put our heads around the, the ramifications of this. This is coming at a time where the world is so unstable, but as this an instability of the world, when the COVID came, but everybody said, okay, Rav Chaim's there, it's okay, you know, he's still there, he's not doing his thing, he didn't say anything, he didn't say anything so serious, he just told us ABC, pray there. okay, Rav Chaim, and then after the COVID was finished, they started putting vaccinations on everybody, okay, we'll, we'll survive the vaccinations, and the boosters, and the boosters, boosters, and all that, okay, Rav Chaim, and then the world became a little more stable. Then all of a sudden the war came out in Russia and Ukraine. People are talking about world war, all these things that we never heard about in our lifetimes. And what did everybody say? Rav Chaim. Rav Chaim's there. What did Rav Chaim say? Eh, don't worry, everything will be fine. And all of a sudden, in an unstable world that was very, very shaky, and very imbalanced, but you always had the tzaddik that was holding it up. And now on the last move, Bode took the took the, 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 the support now what are you going to say so an unstable world became much more unstable as you know already without the tzaddik we know in history when tzaddikim left the world this is not a good, uh, a good, a good sign even though there's other tzaddikim in shamayim yeah, but we need tzaddikim on earth especially when the world is going to turmoil the tzaddikim protect us so this could not have come at a. and this is exactly what happened on Purim on Purim, we lost a big Sadiq Dani'el. We lost him. It goes, it goes under the radar because we get so excited for what happened on Purim, but Mordecai didn't let it go unforgotten. He said, We stop everything. And for 70 days, they just felt the pain in order that nobody should forget this Sadiq Dani'el Hattak that was killed by Haman. So there was a death in Megilat this day. The death of the Dani'el Isha And then after 70 days later, then Mordecai said, okay, they mourned him properly, they gave him a mourning period, like Yaakov Abinu got for 70 days, and the same thing with the great Sadiq here. Now is not a time for to take our mind off the tzaddik. The tzaddik passes away, our talk has to be always on the tzaddik. And the Gemara is very strict on people that are lazy, that don't mourn the tzaddikim. That people think, uh, he was a tzaddik, there were big rabbis in Israel speaking about him, uh, we mentioned him, but no. During the mourning period of tzaddikim, it has to be talked about. It has to be mentioned, and have to tell you know uh, the ramifications of it. But then he writes in the last paragraph. Veikadat sar. Now this for us. The main sa'ar when a tzaddik passes away is what? Eno tikunda met. It doesn't make a rectification for the death for a dead person. alenu velashu the result of a, of a death of a tzaddik has to cause a person to recommit himself to the study of Torah, to recommit himself to the Torah and the mitzvot, to recommit himself to teshuvah, tikun gadol Then we make the tikun The tzaddik was taken only because of us. When we talk about when somebody passes away, so they say when they bury them, it's hesed shal emit. Means, the simple explanation is because we don't anticipate any reciprocation normally when you do a living person a favor, I do you a favor one day you'll do me a favor, so it's not a chesed shall emit because you're doing it with kavanah ulterior motives, I did you a favor today, one day I'll lead you, you'll do me a favor but when you do a chesed to emet he's not going to pay you back, he's dead that's a real chesed, it's a, it's a genuine chesed, they call that an honest true chesed because you don't anticipate reciprocation but he says a different explanation. Ki milat emet, what is emet? When you hear the word emet, what does it represents? Torah. Hashem atanano Torah, torat emet. So he says, Ve'esek ha-metzvot, emet. The mitzvot is emet. And therefore the pasuk says, ke-ma'aseh eris misraim lo ta'asub. God says, "Do not follow the ways of the Goyim. Do not follow the ways of the Egyptians. Their perverted ways, their degenerate ways it doesn't only mean Mitzrayim. It means all the nations of the world. Do not follow their lifestyles." Nachen Amari Yaakov, Yaakov before he passed away, what did he tell his children? <speaking in Hebrew> I need you to do me a Chesed. What's the Chesed that I want you to do for me after I pass away? He said, "The Chesed must be emet. Cling to the emet." Cling to the truths of the Torah and the mitzvot. Al He didn't mean don't bury me physically in mitzrayim only. He meant to say, don't learn from the Egyptian culture after I passed away. Don't bury me in Egypt. Because if you're not going to recommit yourself to the principles of the emet of the Torah and the mitzvot, and you're going to start learning from the ways of the subculture and the lowliness of the Egyptians, you have, buried me e- you have buried me. You have not done me a justice. If you want to elevate my soul and do something in my honor, don't bury me in Egypt. And now, he was basically telling them, my death should be what? That leads to emet. That means the truth. It's the same thing today. This is a, uh, a very important yesod. When we have... When we have signs, Borei Olam sends signs to every generation. Sometimes the signs that he sends are very subtle. And only the tzaddikim are able to pick up these signs. But the tzaddikim have very good sensitivity when God sends them signals. David HaMelech, the Midrash, writes, was one of these few people that God gave him a sign and he understood the sign. David HaMelech, who we're learning about today. His future father-in-law, King Saul, Shaul HaMelech, he was being uh, uh, harassed by a giant, a terrorist called Goliath. Goliath. Shaul got up and said, who is able to kill this terrorist? We'll get a big reward. David, who was not the son-in-law of Shaul yet, he was David, he came along and said, I'll do it. You're going to do it? How are you going to do it? He says, let me tell you what happened to me. He said, I was walking one day and I saw a lion. And I saw a bear. And the lion and the bear came against me. And I killed both of them with my bare hands. And therefore he says, if I could beat the lion and the bear, I could beat Goliath. And the rabbis say, he wasn't showing off his strength. What he was saying is, it's a sign from God. Why did God bring these two ferocious animals out of a cage towards me, that I should beat them up. It's only in order to tell me that I have a purpose and I have a mission. And my mission is what? To kill kill Goliath. The Midrash says, somebody else had a premonition. And that premonition was Mordechai. Mordechai said, I don't understand. I did everything in my capability to keep Queen Esther away from Ashverosh. I hid her... I told her, don't say where she comes from. She went kicking and screaming. We did everything that this girl should not become married to this arel. And what happened? Nothing that we did helped. Modechai said, this is a sign from God that if Queen Esther has become the wife of this arel, of this goi, well something's gonna happen. Something is about to happen major. Because things don't just happen like this. David, when he fought with the bear and the lion, he said something major is gonna happen. He was right. Shortly thereafter, the terrorist Koliat came. But David says, I'm the guy. Because if this happened to me, Hashem wants me to fight him. And the same thing with Queen Esther. Mordechai said, This is not a coincidence. If God put this girl, this lady in this place, something major is gonna happen. But let me tell you about how things happen in this world. It says, Every day, Yom Vayom Mordechai every day Mordechai would go to see what's going on with Queen Esther. This Fatima says, what do you mean every day? Every day for five years. Yeah, every day for five years, Mordecai would go to the palace and pray to Hillel because he knew something big was going to happen. He knew, if not today, tomorrow, and if not tomorrow, the next day, but he said, there's no way that God would allow this Sudeikah lady to be in the palace unless there's something major. Now, look how great Mordecai is. To do for five years straight, waiting, we would say, okay, something great could happen. After a week, it's okay, nothing happened, then go back to work, finish, Nothing happening. Mordecai doesn't give up. He says, this is something major. And he was right. And sure enough, after five years, the decree of Haman comes. Oh, this is what we were waiting for. This is it. Now we know why Greenest is there. And sure enough, he tells her, he gives us the, 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 the instructions what to do. Ladies, These are two tzaddikim that received personal signs that something major is going to happen. Klai Yisrael. Over the past three years God is not sending any more personal signs. He's sending signs now to the whole world. This is very, very concerning. This is not like some rabbi in Israel got a sign. He woke up and said, I got a sign. No, no, Borei Allah says, forget about it. I'm going to give a sign now to the entire world. Over the past three years, the events now are not individual signs. The signs are being told to the whole world. And this is, without a doubt, after what happened in the COVID, what happened to all the pandemic, and then after the pandemic, all the riots, and after that, these all things that are affecting the whole world. Then all of a sudden now, war. And now the death of the Gadolador. These are signals that Borei Olam is saying. So nobody should say to himself, hey, nobody warned me. <laughs> Modechai told Queen Esther. Ki ta Harishi. If you're going to be silent at this point, you'll be in trouble. The Midrash comes along and says, Why did he say a double language? <laughs> if you're going to be silent, you're going to be silent. The Midrash says that Modechai was telling Queen Esther. If you're going to be silent in this world now and not rise to the occasion of what you were created to do, when you get to the next world and stand in front of the bed deen, and they're going to tell you why didn't you do anything, you're going to be silent over there as well. You're not going to have what to answer them. Ki if you're going to be silent in this world, taharish, you're going to be silent in the next world. And therefore, what, do you, what, what can we say now? Borel was giving us tremendous signs before the revelation of the Mashiach. That's without a doubt. Now you don't have to be a prophet. If I would come 2,000 years ago and tell you that we're in the Messianic times, then already you could say, ah, come on, what does he know? Now, any, any, my, my three year old grandson could talk about Mashiach. Now, anybody could talk about Mashiach. Now, already, everybody has a license to talk about Mashiach because now already the Simanim are, are coming in front of us. Now, don't walk out of the clan and say, oh, the rabbi said Mashiach has to come. And then next week, when he didn't come, God forbid, so then he said, okay, yeah, he didn't come. This. He didn't come this. No, this is a process. This is a process. Mordechai knew something was going to happen, but it didn't happen for five years. Queen Esther became the king in the seventh year of the kingdom. Haman's decree was not till the twelfth. Things happen over a process of time, but this is definitely part of the process. Now it's not a time to come along and... Uh, you know, five, five, five years ago in 2014, when Russia invaded the Crimea, Rabbi Sternbach wrote a letter and he said, uh, Here it is. We, our family has a tradition of the government of that once Russia invades Crimea, that's it, put on your mashiach jacket. Uh, here it is. That happened in 2014. And what did everybody say? Oh, I got excited. Two days later, when nothing happened, what did they say? Who's Rabbi Sternbach? Anybody? There was this letter. Okay, and next, nothing happened. They went back to the merry way. But that's, that's the problem. That means when the rabbis are telling you these are simanim, it's not a time to be lax. We're going to be silent now, God will be silent in the future. Therefore, now is the time for, for, for action, for Torah, for mitzvot, for tefillah, to accept upon ourselves the malchut shamayim to pray for the shekhinah that's in Galut. This is all lessons that come to us at this time. When Bashia comes, nobody's going to have the excuse to say we didn't get signs. <laughs> Nobody hey, just came like that, suddenly. There's no more surprise anymore, there's no sudden anymore. But is taking the element of surprise away from us now, because now he's already telling us, shaking us this way, shaking us this way, shaking us the other way. So it's incumbent upon us as the marathon is almost coming to an end. This is obvious now we can see the finish line of, 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 of the end of days which is a good thing for the army Israel it's a good thing she has a good thing for us. it's not a scary thing it's a good thing you just don't know what it is so you're scared so, oh what's going to happen to my comes what's going to happen to my house what's going to happen to my car what, what happens to my mortgage my American Express but don't worry about anything it's a great thing for, for the Jewish business. this is the thing that the tzaddikim were, were waiting for from the times of Adam and Ishaan back to our chapter we'll conclude if you look at Pasuk Perek Yud I'm sorry, Perek sixty-four pasuk yud in this chapter. I talked about Daniel. It says, kol Adam." Remember, I asked you, what is? It says literally means that all when they saw the miracle of Daniel get saved from the lions, then and people will fear you, Kol Adam. and they will see the wonders of God. U'maasa, So the Mefarshim, Atam says that the word Adam is not only an allusion to the people that witnessed Daniel being saved, those people, the Adam that were there, but Adam is also an allusion to the future of what Daniel would be involved in. He was one of the three tzaddikim in the time of Hashverosh. He had Esther, Daniel, Mordechai. Esther, Daniel, Mordechai, Rashetevot Adam. And therefore, there's an illusion over here to Daniel's futuristic moment that when he's gonna stand at the time next to the Tutsa Dikim, is still in Mordecai. At that moment, is going to be Adam. However, ultimately, the Dalit was taken away. The Dalet, Daniel died. And then you're only left with what? The Aleph and the Men. And the Zohar Kedros says that all the redemptions are going to be with Aleph Mem. Anytime we have a redemption, Look at the letters Aleph-Mem. The first redemption was in Egypt. Who was the two redeemers? Aharon and Moshe. Aleph-Mem. And then you had, in the times of Queen Esther, who was the redeemers? Esther, Mordechai. And then you have when Mashiach comes, who's going to come before Mashiach? Eliyahu. So you have Eliyahu, Mashiach. That's the sword of the secret of the Aleph-Mem. My name is Eliyahu Mansour, by the way. It's also Aleph-Mem, but that... <laughs> That, don't pay attention to that, that's just uh, an image. But the point is that the fact that we're reading these chapters, and the fact that the tzaddikim now have left us, it's definitely time to be mehazik. Chesed emet, the greatest chesed we can do for the tzaddik in Ulama Emet is, alna Don't bury the tzaddik in the American culture. Now's not a time to get closer to America. Now's a time to get closer to this lifestyle, the tradition of the Torah. And good news is, it's a great time of the year. It's the time of Geulam. It's the time of redemption. And therefore, if, if, if these things should have happened any time of the year, it couldn't happen at a better time between Purim and Pesach, we pray that the karma of these days, which is very good, should be an indication that Borei Olam has good things uh, for us. And Yiratzon that just like Hashem made miracles for us by in those days, He should continue to make miracles for us, specifically, and k'iratzon.